Well, a very happy Christmas to each and every one of you. I'm so glad that you joined us. On behalf of Restoration, uh, I'm Rob, and I'm glad you're here to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love Christmas, not just because my birthday is five days later, but really, truly, I just think this is the most wonderful time of the year. I actually like the waiting between the past or the present and the future, between what is now and what will be. And it isn't really even to do with the presence. I think actually it has to do with the connections that I make to the past. And for me, the past includes the peanut butter sugar cookies with the Hershey Kisses on top. You know, these foods that we, for some reason, only have once a year. Or the salty and satisfying Chex Mix that just keeps coming and coming and coming. Or my family's personal favorite, the sweet and sticky green Christmas leaves. The wreaths, excuse me, wreaths, you know, that if you eat too much of, you wonder uh, what happened the next day. But they're just, it's so good. It's so good. And the past also has to include pulling out the old photo albums and the photo books and seeing where we've been and the people that we've been with. That reminder that we're part of this larger family and larger story. And speaking of stories, the past also has to include some of the classics, reading Twas the Night Before Christmas, The Gift of the Magi, and A Christmas Carol. Now, when I was a kid, honestly, I was a little bit afraid of A Christmas Carol, the story, the movie, the book, all of it. I mean, really, for a Christmas book, there's a lot of darkness involved in it, and even a little bit of death, and I was just afraid of that. And when I think about the real Christmas story, though, There's a lot of darkness involved in that story as well. Neither are great kids' stories, but they both contain truths that I believe we need to consider this Christmas. The first truth that we should consider is that no one is exempt from darkness, even at Christmas. We want it to be a happy time of year, but sometimes darkness just isn't happy. In fact, it's so easily identified as evil I mean, even in the Christmas Carol, the the stingy, scraping, self-contained Ebenezer Scrooge is easy to pin off as evil. His mansion and his office are as dark and as cold as his heart. But not all darkness is evil. In fact, sometimes darkness simply is waiting. You know, for the even the night sky gets dark. And it's just waiting for morning light. Or the wintry, cold winter isn't evil. It's simply a time of waiting and hibernation until spring. Or for that matter, your Christmas presents that some of you might be really excited about opening, they're actually wrapped in darkness. You can't see them right now. But then you'll rip them open and you'll see the light. They'll come into the light. And you might be excited about it. But sometimes darkness is mystery. It's not evil, it's not waiting, it's just mystery. I mean, we see it in A Christmas Carol with uh, Scrooge's assistant, Bob Cratchit, every week wondering if he would bring enough money home to feed his family, and every day wondering if that tiny Tim would ever get healthy. We see it in the story of the first Christmas with Mary, the mother of Jesus, wondering if her now fiancé would accept her as his wife once she found out what the angel had said to her, that she would conceive and give birth to this Savior. We see it 
in Joseph, wondering and waiting in the darkness of whether or not he would accept Mary and what to do about it and the rumors that inevitably happened in the Christmas story. And sometimes when we come today, we just know we're in a season of darkness. We can name it. We're aware of it. We know what we're waiting for. We know what we're longing for. I think for some, it's just the reality of not, yeah, the reality of not necessarily believing in God and, and really not wondering or worrying about if God is with you because you don't believe in him, but actually wondering on a deeper level if you're missing something, if you're not right. I think some of us have a darkness this year of an empty seat, uh, someone that we thought would be at our Christmas table isn't, whether that's through distance or divorce or death, it's wrecking us inside. The last two years, I've had to walk with families as they've lost loved ones right before Christmas. Maybe it's a news about your health that's a darkness, or maybe it's a relational tension, a friendship that's being stretched or a marriage that's being twisted or tested, or squeezed. Maybe it's your financial state, or your companies, and you know that there's going to be hard conversations. Finally, it might just be a loneliness this year. That the people that know you best seem very distant. Or the people that, that you feel close to, even, even yourself, there's a distance there, and you're not sure how to rectify that. See, when you are in the darkness, you don't know where to go and you don't know how to get out. But if you can look into the past, it can actually help you believe that God is near in your present. That's the second truth to consider, that we could look into our past and believe God is near even in our present. There's this passage of scripture that I want to look at for a couple minutes from Isaiah 64. Now, Isaiah 64 is not usually read on Christmas Eve, but it actually is read quite a bit in the weeks leading up to Christmas. And I think if we understand what the prophet is trying to say, it can actually give us exactly what we need, especially when we're in the dark. Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known to our enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for you. See, the prophet here is praying a prayer for God's people while they're in darkness. The first context of this is Isaiah is speaking to the southern kingdom of Israel because they'd, they'd separated, and the northern kingdom was about to be demolished by this raging monstrosity of power and calamity known as Assyria. They were coming north, south, and east, just across the nation, conquering everything in their path, and the northern kingdom was destroyed. 
the southern kingdom turned back to God and God protected them. But less than 100 years later, the nation of Babylon conquered Assyria and then conquered Jerusalem and Judea, and God's people were again in exile. Then after that, the Persians conquered the Babylonians who conquered the Israelites, and again, they were in exile. And then the Greeks conquered the Persians, and again, and then the Romans conquered the Greeks. And so when we get to the first Christmas story, when we hear that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that would go throughout the land, this is the Roman empire that is over God's people. Again, they're in darkness. In fact, all the prophecies, or nearly all the prophecies about Messiah, are written to God's people when they're in darkness, when they're in exile. Because when we're in darkness and exile, we need desperate prayers to God. I think that's the third truth for us to consider tonight. That when things look dark, are we desperately asking God, praying to God, and, and revealing our heart for what we need? I mean, in fact, if we notice what the writer's saying, so this is a time where everybody gets to play. You might not do this very often, but every once in a while we'll have the sounds of the symphony you all actually give a more full sound than the sounds of the solo. So... Uh, You might need to open your Bible. You might need to rack your brain of past messages or places you've read. But where in the Bible have you ever heard of the mountains trembling or twigs blazing with fire? Moses, uh, in general or specific? I'm like, I don't know. It sounded like Jesus, but I went with Moses. (laughs) Moses. And where in particular with Moses? Because you're right. Which mountain? Sinai. And I heard the burning bush. Both are correct. Yes. Uh, which one's first? On the, I was guessing. What would they pick? Mount Sinai. Exodus 19. Yes, the mountains were trembling at Mount Sinai. And this was when God had rescued his people from Egypt. They had come into this desert land. They ended up at this mountain at Mount Sinai. And listen to the description That is given here. As Moses led the people out of camp to meet God, they stood at the foot of the mountain, Sinai. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended in it in fire. The smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace. There's our steam like boiling water. And the whole mountain trembled violently. And at the sound of the trumpet, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And the Lord descended on the mountain and called Moses up. And in this particular event, God speaks to the people directly. They get scared, and they say, no, no, talk to Moses. Anybody knows what Moses was given at that encounter? Ten Commandments, which are all about the rules for which God judges us, right? They keep us in line? No. Don't shake your head, no, no, no. No, this was actually this promise and covenant that God would be their people and they would be, that they would be his people and that he would be their God. This was his promise to always be with them. This is a significant moment for them. That's what the writer is praying when he says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake, that you would come down like you came down in the past. 
that you promise to be our God. And the burning bush, actually similar mountain, the burning bush is when Moses started this journey with God or halfway through his life and journey with God. And he sees this bush that does not burn up. And he goes to speak and see what it's about. He was tending his father-in-law's flock And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from fire. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And in that moment, God said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. They can't free themselves. And I will rescue them and come down and bring them out of this place. When he is talking about twigs blazing with fire, he's saying, remember when God did this? Remember, even though it doesn't feel like God is near right now, I know, I know that you came down in that bush, that you promised, that you remembered, that you heard, that you would come, you would rescue, and you would redeem, and in Sinai, you would remain our God. That's what the writer is saying. That's what he's inviting you and I to pray It doesn't feel very Christmassy, but if we really understood what it meant to be in darkness, we would pray this prayer. See, in the very first Christmas, the characters were in darkness, not just of Rome, not just because they were in exile, not just because a census meant more taxes, but because Mary's pregnant and not married, and that is a big deal in her culture, because Joseph is wondering what to do and how to move forward. And even Simon, that we, Simeon, that we saw acted out, waiting and praying and, and wondering and asking God, and longing and desperate to see this Messiah. He was praying a prayer like Isaiah. God, I know that you'll come down. I know that you'll rescue, not just from an oppressive nation, but from being separated and being in sin from you, God. See, Simon's been praying desperate prayers all along. We can learn from him on how we can pray in the same way for rescue, for redemption, for salvation. Prayers that connect the past and the present with our future. Because we can all leave here, celebrate Christmas and Boxing Day if you want, the 26th, right? Woo. But so many of us want so much more than that. And if you've ever, ever prayed a desperate prayer, you've sensed that God could be with you. I mean, even Scrooge prayed a desperate prayer when the spirit of Christmas future took him to his grave and he saw his certain and solitary death. That was his restoration moment. That was when he said, I have to change. And he did. And it was then that he found true life. But we don't need a ghost of the past or present or future. We really can't save ourselves anyway. It's a nice story, but the good news of Christmas is that we don't have to save ourselves. See, we need to just hear Christmas for what it is, and Matthew tells us what it is. Matthew says that the birth of Jesus took place just like this to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah had said, that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and we were to call him Emmanuel. God with us. Have anybody prayed, God be with me? 
Maybe you've had a test. Be with me in my test because I didn't study very hard. Or maybe you've prayed for God in your travel, like be with us as we travel that we don't get a flat tire or run out of gas, or we could just fill up when it's a half tank or a quarter tank, or even when the light turns yellow. Um, that might just be my thing. God, be with me as I go on my blind date. Be with me as I find a good parking spot shopping on the 24th. I mean, God might want to answer some of those prayers, but God, to pray that God is with you, God dreams for so much more than those things. And Matthew actually tells us what it is. It's in the verse right before that, that Matthew 121, that she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. Why are you to name him Jesus? That's what it means for God to be with us. For God to come in Christ to save us from our sins. The separation and the things that we can't get back to God. We don't have oppressive nations rolling over us, but we do have sin rolling over us. We do have doubts rolling over us. We do have darkness rolling over us. And we need to pray desperate prayers and realize that God is with us and that he's reaching out to us and that he is making a way where there was no way. See, it's when the writer John says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's when Matthew connects that he will be Emmanuel Jesus, God with us, and God saves us, because we can't save ourselves. And it's truly the best news ever especially if we believe it. I heard this week someone say, oh, Christmas, it's just one day, as if dismissing it or at least dismissing the significance of it. And we won't find any redemption. We won't find any saving if that's our thought. But if we see what it truly is, if we understand that on this one day that we call Christmas, the God of the universe the creator, redeemer, and, and sustainer of the universe, the one who's all-knowing, who's all-powerful, who's always present, that God removed his glory and his might and came down in the form of a baby that Lincoln did so well acting out, that he came down in a helpless, vulnerable baby. 100% God, 100% human without sin, and lived among us, died for us, and offers us life because of what he's done. If we believe that, that will change everything. See, because I don't know what the darkness you're facing is, but I know that if you're in the dark and you're lost and you don't know the way, I know that the God who is with you will be a light to guide your path. And if you are sick, that the God with us will be a healer for you. And if you're hurting and alone, then the God that is with us will be your comforter and your friend. And if you're in a place where you're in the middle of a trial or test, the God who is with us will be your strength. If you are someone who is weak, then the God that is with us will be your strength. And if you are someone who is lost because of your sin, then the God who's with us will be your savior. 
That's what it means for God to be with us. So, as we close, I want to ask a question of you. God is with us, but are you with God? As I look back, think about my life through the years, there have been many times where I'm not with him, where I've doubted him, where I've gone to church and some believed in him but not really been changed by him, not really been transformed by him, not really surrendering my life to him, not seeing more patience, more generosity, more goodness flow out of me because I am not with him. So what about you? Are you with God. And if you say, well, I've, you don't know what I've done. I've got to clean some stuff up. Yep, you probably do, because I know I do. None of us can do it on our own, but we don't have to. Christ has made a way. He has given his life, so all we have to do is receive it. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't find it, but we can receive it. And when we do, our past, our present, and our future is made new. Because God will do what he's always done. That he will rescue us when we're in the dark. That he will redeem us and restore us. And he will remain with us. And that's what we're invited to at Christmas. And when we do that, not just our present, but our future can be unbelievably changed. So would you pray with me? God, I pray that the truth that you share in Romans will be true in our lives, that nothing would separate us from our love, from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord to us. So God, I pray that we would give you our fears, our doubts, and our insecurities. I pray that we would offer our theological questions and our failures and our brokenness I pray that we would offer all those things that we can't really explain or can't really do anything about, our sickness, our divorce, our mistakes. But God, nothing can separate us and those things can't. So I pray that we would put our story in your larger story. That you're a God who remembers, who comes down, who rescues, redeems, and restores us. Dear God, who wants to remain our God, I pray that we would be with you because you are with us. Help us to believe that, that, help us to celebrate that today. Make something new. In Jesus' name, amen.